Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on the home of common sense, the world headquarters of the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. The week begins with a crisp cold morning and a smorgasbord of stories to tell you about and discuss, chiefly beginning with the ghastly revelation that serial rapist and double murderer Colin Pitchfork has been recalled to prison after being released just a few weeks ago back into the community. Why? Because he's been spotted approaching young women multiple times since he has been staying at a bail hostel. I don't want to say I told you so, But I did tell you, this is exactly what would happen. Pitchfork is a dangerous serial killer, a man who thought nothing of brutally raping and killing two 15-year-old schoolgirls in the 1980s, three years apart, in one case while one of his own children was sitting in the same car where he was conducting the killing. A man who has no doubt committed more crimes than we know. A man who should never have ever been released. The parole board in this country has already proved itself to be not fit for purpose. Surely this latest gap must now dictate that their woke liberal agenda that everyone can be rehabilitated must end and it must end now. We'll be talking to QC Chris Dore and Bobby Friedman as well, uh, who's also a lawyer who works in the system, about how we can make that happen. Because, ladies and gentlemen, this happened over the weekend. I don't think enough people have been talking about it and I want to talk about it right now. Because who on earth thinks it's a great idea to rehabilitate people like paedophiles, like serial rapists, like murderers, like people uh, like the black cab rapist John Warboys, who was supposed to be going to be released by the parole board until somebody stepped in and stopped it from happening? These are very important points that we need to talk about because the world is a dangerous place. We need to make it safer for the good citizens of this country. 0344 499 1000. First up, we'll also be hearing from Tory MP for North Herefordshire, Bill Wiggin. I'll be asking him about Pitchfork and the parole board. We'll also be getting the latest from him on the backbenches on the social care revolt, which is supposed to be coming as well, and what the Tory party really thinks of how Boris Johnson is doing. Peter Hitchens is here as well with his take on the big stories of the week, in particular his column that highlighted the failings of the border force on our beaches. Peter maintains that really the problem with the border force is they don't actually believe in patrolling the borders and stopping people from coming in. Plus we'll be asking what's wrong with calling people woke? Apparently teachers are now saying, oh you shouldn't be insulting people by calling them woke because being woke is good. Well we'll tell you why that's wrong. Also what's up with Adele? Did you see any of that stuff last night? An audience with Adele? I'd rather not, thank you very much indeed, but what an absolute sort of festival of syrup. An absolute nightmare. Emma Thompson turning up going, Oh, did you ever have anybody that inspired you enough to make you go on? Make you go on from what? She was at stage school. She wasn't exactly living out the back of a tent in Afghanistan. She was at stage school. She's doing fine. I'm just an ordinary girl next door. Yeah, if you live next door to somebody with 100 million quid in Beverly Hills, 
She's the ordinary girl next door. 0344 499 1000. We need to hear from you, as usual, of course, because you tell us what's going on and we'll tell everybody else. We're going to go over to Holland and find out what is going on all over Europe. People are revolting against these vaccine passports, against mandatory vaccines and against the ridiculous restrictions that have been put on them uh, by the crazed, maniacal, uh, communist dictators of the European Union. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, lots of things to talk about with Bill Wigan this morning. Uh, Loads going on. I want to ask him, first of all, uh, about what on earth the parole board thinks it's doing by allowing a dangerous killer, a dangerous rapist, a serial rapist, in fact, to be released. I said at the time, and I said it to uh, Alberto Costa, uh, who is, of course, the uh, justice minister who's been working very, very hard on this particular case uh, and who has spoken to us many times. He's not available, unfortunately, today, but we will talk to him about this. He's been trying to ensure uh, that Pitchfork was never released but of course the parole board uh, not only decided that this was a good idea but actually overruled the attorney general's office when they said we don't think you should let this guy out guess what he's been going around in the area in which he lives and we're not entirely sure where that was because we weren't told where it was um, approaching young women teenage girls indeed and young women in their 20s this is a bloke who let's not forget raped and murdered brutally two 15 year old girls back in the 1980s Three years apart. If you think he didn't kill anybody else, good luck to you. Bill, a very good morning to you. Good morning. Good morning, Mike. How nice to be with yes, you this morning. thank you so on much. On such a horrible subject. Well, it is oh. a horrible subject, and I apologise yeah. for bringing it up so early in the uh, in the proceedings, but I just think it's so important that we get a grip of this because the parole board for a very long time, Bill, uh, it has been acting like a law unto itself. And we hear all the time from these kind of libertarians and liberals who say, well, you know, the thing is everybody's worth uh, giving a second chance to. Well, I don't agree. I don't think people like Colin Pitchfork or ghastly, horrible paedophiles like Ian Huntley should ever be released. And, and of course, there's the other side of the coin where if you are completely innocent and you refuse to ever admit that you did it, you're not eligible for parole either. Mm. So you're right. This is not a system that is working. And um, I, I know that Robert Buckland, when he was uh, Lord Chancellor, and, and, uh, fought very hard to make sure that Colin Pitford couldn't come out again. Uh, obviously, I'm as disappointed as you are to see that the parole board thought they knew best. Yes. Of course, the bit that everyone forgets is that these boards are gambling with other people's lives. Yeah. Well, I mean, look at look fair. at what has happened in the preceding weeks to now. From September, he was released in September. Uh, he's. Luck- I mean, the only good thing about this story is that at least the surveillance of him uh, and the monitoring of him seems to have been working. But he's been clearly uh, activating uh, whatever it was that, that was his problem in the first place. He's been chatting up young women, trying to talk to young women, trying to approach young women. You know, it's madness. I mean, literally madness, isn't it? And sooner or later, one of these will be a victim. And that's, yeah. I think, what we're both worried about. Um, I, I I completely agree with you. I think it's absolutely disastrous. So what can we do, though? Because like a lot of things, Bill, you and I will talk about this. I will talk about it with other people on the show today. We need to give a very strong message to the parole board that they have to change their attitude about this stuff because it's all very well for them to say. And I've heard people in the House of Lords talking about uh, the guy, the bomber up in Liverpool, saying, oh, well, you know, the thing is, it's very rare when something like this happens. Well, it's fine that it's rare, but it shouldn't happen at all. And, it, it, you know, accidents and, and bad things do happen, but it's the avoidability 
that is the problem here. And, you know, when you've caught someone, sent them through the judicial process, which goodness knows takes long enough, mm. then, then to let them out again is just madness. And it's an uh, I don't, I don't the... know what we can do because parliamentarians are separate from the judiciary. And so that is why the Lord Chancellor's office and the Attorney General fight so hard to increase sentences. Mm. And actually, what, what is good news is that they have been very successful uh, recently, and, and a lot of sentences have been increased. And of course, we never talk about that. We only talk about the ones that are released by the parole board. But, but a lot of very nasty, very bad people have yes. seen their sentences get tougher. What makes me angry is when I see the Supreme Court intervening in the legal process rather than listening to the electeds in Parliament who are forced to keep out of the judicial process, uh, which is why we are so frustrated by decisions like this. Yes, that is part of the problem. And I mean, you know as well as I do uh, that the main point of this conversation really is to ensure that the parole board is given enough of a, um, a bloody nose, if you'll pardon the, uh, the expression, uh, that they don't ever decide to let him out again. Because surely to God, they would learn from this. But my fear is they won't. Well, I, I don't know. I don't know anybody on the parole board, and I, I hope that they are doing their job as carefully as possible. But we have got this this problem in our society, uh, and we see it with the uh, illegal immigrants claiming asylum. Mm. The, the, the do-gooders, the, they've got kind hearts and all that, but they are responsible for a great deal of misery. And, you know, whether it's letting people out of prison early or giving people who choose to break the law human rights that they don't earn or deserve when they arrive here in spite of the law you know we, we this bleeding heart liberal nonsense has got to stop it really has because that brings me on to the, the next thing i wanted to talk to you about which is the migrant crisis i mean boris johnson over mm -hmm. the weekend uh, declaring himself to be exasperated well he's not the only one you know we're all bleeding huh. exasperated but what's he going to do about it you know we keep hearing pretty patel is having conversations we keep hearing that she's going to clamp down on it meanwhile more and more people arrive we've got something like i think 4000 people have arrived this month alone i mean it's a shambles isn't it uh, it's worse than that because um, we've been relying on the French to stop them from coming. And, of course, the French have got no interest in stopping them from coming. In fact, just as we would be very happy for them to stay in France, the French are very happy for them to come over here. Mm. The bit that's all wrong is that these are people who then become incredibly vulnerable. They have no paperwork. They're exploited. We see modern slavery, which is much, much worse than the historical nonsense we've been listening to recently. Modern day slavery of these sorts of people who are because they were already illegal, um, are, are very vulnerable to, to exploitation. And, and of course, um, you know, there was never any intention of obeying our laws when they set off. Mm. No, exactly right. And what, again, we don't seem to have a handle on uh, uh, is, is exactly who these people are, where they're coming from, why they're coming here, where they've been before, what they've done before. And it seems to me that, that we are literally an open door. I mean, if... God forbid there was ever to be another lockdown coming up in December. All we would know is the only people that could arrive into the country would be people coming on dinghies from France. Well, we know where they're coming, Mike. They're coming to listen to your show. Well, but, listen, uh, I mean, the figures... That, free education, that's free true. housing, free healthcare. That might have quite a lot to do with it. Um, but, uh, but, the, but joking apart, this is a, this is a really serious situation. Mm. And I think it's got to be a bit like snakes and ladders. You know, you know, these are people who have paid a lot of money to get into their dinghy and set off for the UK. Yeah. And it, 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 as I said, snakes and ladders, you, you've been going up the ladder all the way. When you hit border force, you should be on that snake back down to where you started. Yes. And, and until people go back to where they began 
And the word gets out that trying to get into the UK is a waste of time and effort and particularly money, then the people traffickers will go on lying to these people and, and exploiting them. So we've got to make sure it's crystal clear that breaking into the UK definitely doesn't pay off. No. And I mean, it's not just the UK problem. People say all the time, some of these do-gooding kind of human rights lawyers go, oh, but the French take a lot more than we do, or the Germans take a lot more than we do. Well, that's true, but they're much bigger countries, and therefore they've got more space. You know, we are becoming more and more an overcrowded country uh, with more than sort of seven or eight million people than we had sort of ten years ago, right? Now, even in Denmark, and if you saw this story in the Mail on Sunday at the weekend, even in Denmark, they're actually sending people back to Syria, and we look upon Scandinavia as being a kind of a, you know, a beacon of, of sort of, you know, soft liberal justice. But they're saying, look, we can't cope anymore. And they're actually paying people to go back to Syria. Maybe that's the answer. Well, that is definitely the right thing to do. If you've, if you've come over here hoping uh, to escape from some of these places, you should find yourself back in them. And, and in fairness uh, to us, you know, a lot of these European countries have signed up to the Schengen Agreement. That means they've given up on protecting their own borders. We left the EU so we could protect our own borders, and therefore allowing people to come over from France is in uh, breach of the Dublin Treaty. It's illegal, it's wrong, it makes them vulnerable, and it puts their lives at risk when they go to sea. There is nothing to be said for this, except that if you get away with it, you never end up back where you started. And that's what's wrong. That's what Pretty's got to do. Mm. And at the moment, I don't think she's been able to do that because rather like the parole board, I think her problem is within the civil service. And there's a lot of people working there who actually have less enthusiasm for sending these people back than you and I do. Yes. Well, we're going to talk to Peter Hitchens in a little while, who's got a very well, interesting view on the fact that the guy that used to run the border force didn't think it was point. It was, there was any point to it, didn't think there was any point in having borders, which is a bit unfortunate if you're the leader of the border force. But there we are. Bill, stay with us for a moment. Uh, we want to come back to you in a minute. We've got lots to talk to you about. Bill Wigan is here, Conservative MP for North Herefordshire. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. We're talking to Bill Wigan, though, Conservative MP for North Herefordshire. Bill, um, it's been a bit of a rocky old uh, couple of weeks for Boris Johnson. Um, we're told in The Guardian this morning that there's going to be some kind of social care revolt. Uh, you know how much I love to read The Guardian about these kinds of stories. What is going on on the backbenches? What are people saying? What are people doing? And what are they preparing uh, for Boris? Well, I was just reading about this because the government says that you shouldn't have to pay more than £86,000 on your care mm. when you need it, which seems to me to be a significant improvement on the, the current situation where you are required to pay unlimited amounts of money until your savings and your value, the, the, the amount of assets you hold falls beneath £20,000. So it, it looks like it's a great improvement. I think people are worried about how much the local authorities are going to pay on your behalf. Mm. However, um, I, I'm a little nervous about committing one way or the other because these things are debated in the news and then the government listens and quite often the government will concede, at which point everyone shouts, you turn. Mm. But uh, hopefully the legislation will end up um, how people would like it. And I think this is a significant improvement on what we have at the moment. Well, let's hope so. I mean, there's definitely no uh, cause for concern for a lot of people um, who've got plenty of, uh, um, of of resources, I suppose. But but it's quite the, people, the opposite. It's, it's the really people, good for them. Well, no, it's the people in the middle who get squeezed, isn't it? The people who yeah. perhaps have worked all their lives. They've got a house that they'd like to leave to their children. It might not be worth 
bucket loads of money, but it means a lot to them. And those are the people that are the most heavily burdened by this, it seems. Well, I'm, 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 I'm still not quite certain that it's as simple as that, because what you're required to do is pay up to £86,000 for your adult social care. Yeah. Um, but that's a lot council, of money for a lot of people, isn't it? It's a, it's remarkably little for what it costs. I mean, it's exceptionally expensive to look after people who have um, needs and, and it's difficult to get the staff and, and it's very, very expensive. The local authorities contribute and the question mark is hanging over whether or not that local authority contribution will make up part of that 86,000. Mm. Yes. Um, even if it doesn't it's still an improvement on what we've got at the moment but obviously that is what is bothering people and and that is what we need to find out yes and what is also bothering people quite a lot is the fact that you know there are going to be shortages of staff in care homes and in the nhs uh, as sajid javin continues to press on uh, with this kind of mania about people having to be double vaccinated in order to work there well I, i'm not so uh, for once and I think this is probably the very first time we've ever disagreed. Um, I think if if uh, if I want my mum in a care home, I want to know that she's safe. And I think that that means that people who want to work in those very safe environments should be doing everything they can, not just to put my mind at risk, because I'm not the one that's vulnerable. But but you know we saw a huge death toll in our in our care homes. If we can stop that by saying you've got to be jabbed, I, I think yeah, that is a responsible thing to do. The point is, is that you know the reason for people dying in the care homes in past times was because there was no vaccine. There is now a vaccine, and I keep getting confused by the different uh, instructions being given out by various different doctors. I mean, a doctor said to, uh, to, to one of the programmes over the weekend that you're 95% protected if you have two vaccines, right? So give the third booster vaccine to the, to the developing world where they need it more than we do. You then hear uh, from other people in the Department of Health who say, oh, well, you're only 50% protected with two, and if you get the third one, you're 75% protected. You know, they can't both be right, and I think the government needs to get the messaging right on this, don't you, Bill, in order to make sure that no. people understand what's going on. What's the chance of you having an accident in your car? You still wear a seatbelt. This is a seatbelt yeah, for my people life, at though, risk. Does it? It might do. It might and, do. And don't forget, don't forget, all of these probabilities are what-ifs. They're not the reality and the reality is if you put your mum in a care home you don't want her to get ill so if the government says you've got to have a vaccination in the same yeah, way as yeah, you have on, to have a it's... yellow fever jab if you have but to Bill, travel, i'm not sending my wife to india right uh, or my mother to india for a yellow fever jab if my mother goes into a care home and she's double vaccinated what difference does it make what everybody else is doing well, it, it's, you know, if you drive very slowly, do you need to wear a seatbelt? The answer is yes, you do. So, for goodness sake, well, let's do everything because, we can. Yeah, but I mean, there's let's never been... do everything been, we can. Yeah, but hang is, on, Bill. There bad. has never been a case uh, in point ever in this country, which is a democ democratic country, uh, where people have been told if you don't have a vaccination, you can't have a job. I mean, what if they decide to say in Parliament tomorrow, you know, if you do not have a vaccination uh, against cholera, you can't come in? If, if if everyone in this country has cholera and that's what it takes, I will happily vaccinate myself in order to make sure I can represent. I just think it's a very dangerous precedent. Uh, and the worry I've got for be, you, Bill... You may be right, Mike. You may I be know, right. Listen, I know you've got a massive majority of 25,000, so you may not be worried. But the Tory party right now is behaving in a way uh, which is upsetting an awful lot of its members, an awful lot of its voters. People are saying we're never going to vote for them again. You know, I think these things need to be said to Boris and to, to be said to the cabinet in order to make them understand that not everybody is going along with it.
Uh, okay, fair point. Um, you know, if you don't want to to work in a care home or you you feel you're being unfairly put upon, I, I understand why you'd say that. But I think we've got to look at the bigger picture. Um, this is a government that's done the furlough scheme, costs of billions. They they've saved the NHS from collapse. And to say to people, well, they haven't going, actually. You know, well, the NHS has on the br- been on the brink of collapse for years. Uh, okay, but that's why we did what we did as a government, and that's why I supported it because I didn't want to see my constituents not get the care they deserve. That's why I voted for the tax rises. All very difficult and unpleasant things to have to do, principally and in reality. However, we are having, because of the pandemic, to compromise on certain principles, and and that is. Yes, but I think it's fair to ask, but is it not fair to ask the question, Bill, when will those principles which you have um, changed in terms of the way the Tory party is supposed to operate, when will they be reversed and when will we get the Tory party back? When will it become once again the party of low tax and low public spending? Well, this is this is a you, you touched on earlier on in the in the show, the feelings on the back benches. And I think what has been done for the pandemic has been against some of our really important core principles, which we have had to do. I said suck it up, but that's what we've had to do. And that's because it really is in the best interests of the country. That will not go on being true because principles like low tax deliver better growth. And, and I know the Chancellor is aware of that because I've raised it with him and I've seen many of my other colleagues do the same thing. So my view on this is that we will be returning to principles very shortly. I don't think we ever left them very far away, but you know we have had to do some fairly tough and unpalatable things because we have had a global yeah. pandemic. Yeah, listen, and I think people ex- understand that, Bill, but I think we'd, I like, to, we'd also agree. like to see uh, where the end of the tunnel might be. And if we can't see the end of the tunnel, uh, can we have a light, please, shone uh, in that general direction to find out when we're going to get there? Well, look at what's going on in Austria. I mean, well, that's a shocking state there. of affairs. They are rioting there because they don't have the sort of government that we do. And and I tell you this, Mike, I really don't want to be asked to support another lockdown. No. And and you touched on it earlier in December. I, I don't think we will. And I the reason I don't believe we will is because we are very good at taking out the vaccine. And, and you're right. It doesn't stop the disease from spreading. It, it can't. But it does give your body a chance to cope with it. And the quicker you're better... And the less infectious you are for a shorter period of time, the better we all are. And therefore, this 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 vaccine approach of ours, I think, will pay dividends mm. time and time again listen, over, listen, irrespective my- of what the percentages are. At the end of the day, do what you can, because you can't solve every problem. You can only no. do as much as possible. Exactly right. You know, in my per- personal situation, I can tell you that my body has coped a lot worse than the coronavirus. I should have died in the 80s in New York, but that's another story. Uh, Bill, thank you very much indeed. Good to talk to you. Uh, thank you for your honesty. Bill Wiggin, Conservative MP for North Herefordshire, uh, saying it is time uh, we started to talk about getting back the Conservative Party that was elected in 2019, i.e. the party that was going to get us out of the European Union, the party that was going to lead us into some kind of new global Britain, the party that was not going to tell us that we had to pay more tax, and certainly not the party that was going to lock us down and prevent our economy from thriving. That's not the party we want, that's not the party we asked for, and that is certainly not the party that we want to see continuing into the future. This is Talk Radio across the UK, online, on DAB+. Plus and on the Talk Radio app. The Independent Republic of Mike Gray.
on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. The voice of the people, I think you'll find, uh, is the case because in the end, uh, if we don't stand up for people in the streets of this country, if we don't stand up for ordinary people uh, who need to have access to justice, who need to be able to walk the streets safely, who need to be able to send their children to school without fearing that they're going to be raped and murdered, that would be nice, wouldn't it? But there's a whole bunch of lefties who would like to make sure that the people who do the raping and the murdering are free to wander in the streets and rape and murder a bit more. Absolutely unbelievable. Here's another example uh, of the madness that currently exists in this country, right? There's a woman by the name of Samantha Price, uh, who is president of the Girls' School Association. She's also the headmistress of what's called a prestigious independent boarding school, Benenden School. Um, She says that we shouldn't go around telling young people that they're woke. Why? Because apparently being woke is not a bad thing, according to her. Now, this woman runs a school, which is, I think, the most expensive school I've ever come across. I don't know how much it costs to send anybody to Eton. I wouldn't send my kids to private school. Uh, It's just my thing. I think they should be in the general population and they should mix with ordinary people. Benenden School charges £13,600 a term, right? Now, by my calculation... There's either two or three terms, depending on which school you talk to. If there's two terms, that makes it 27 grand to send your child to one year's schooling in Benenden, right? If there's three, it makes it closer to 40,000 quid to send a child to school. What sort of people do you think are sending their children to school that can afford to spend 40,000 pounds a year on it, right? Now, according to this woman, right... Woke is an informal term from the United States, making people alert to injustice and discrimination in society, particularly racism and sexism. So it's good to be woke. Well, it isn't good to be woke. It is bad to be woke. And I'll tell you why. The problem with being woke is that you are privileged. You are probably wealthy. You are certainly uh, somebody who has a great deal of advantages in life. And you can afford to be woke. If you're driving a van or you're a courier or you're working as a bus driver, or you're working as a train driver, or you're working in a factory, or you're working in any sort of low-paid manual job. You can't afford to be woke. You know why? Because you're too busy trying to make a living. And that is the problem with these snotty-nosed, pumped-up, pompous people like this woman, Samantha Price. She knows the price of everything because it's very expensive, but the value of absolutely nothing. So thanks a lot, Samantha. You're obviously too woke for your own good, and I'll be calling plenty of people woke, and I mean it as a derogatory term. Yes, I do. Thank you very much indeed. This message is, of course, endorsed as ever by the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Jack has texted into 87222. Start your message with the word talk. He says, hi, Mike, I'm from Leicestershire. And like you, cannot believe this monster was let out. So glad he's back behind bars. It's bad enough that we have to pay to keep this vile man in prison, let alone letting him out. It was always going to be a bad idea. It was always going to be an idiotic thing that the parole board did. Uh, And really, quite frankly, what I would like to see is the parole board giving us some assurance that it won't happen again. I'm not quite sure we can get that from them, though. Let's talk to Peter Hitchens from the Mail on Sunday. Peter, very good morning to you. Morning. Um, I don't know whether you have a view on the parole board and uh, and how it operates, but like many of the things that you write about, um, it doesn't quite seem to do its job terribly well. 
Well, I think there obviously have to be cases for parole on occasion. And, and there are undoubtedly people who, after a while, should be let out. But I think the problem with people such as Pitchfork uh, is that this is a man convicted beyond any reasonable doubt of serious murders. And there has been for some time, I don't know, I, I haven't checked lately, but the, the, it used to be one of the most fascinating figures in, in British criminology that uh, every three years, two people in this country were killed by convicted murderers who'd been released on parole. Mm. Uh, one of the, it's one of my arguments. I mean, I don't at the moment. I don't support the reintroduction of the death penalty at the moment because I don't think that our judges are of high enough quality, and I think our juries aren't independent mm. enough. But it, 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 there are some cases, and the Pitchfork case seems to be one of them, where it seems to be very, very hard for anyone seriously to argue that the death penalty would not have been uh, would not have been justified. Mm. Uh, and it, 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 I, I just, it, it, unless you're an actual pacifist. And don't ever believe that society can defend itself against violence with violence, then I think you have to concede that. And part of my point about the, the released murderers killing people was this people always say, well, you can't risk, uh, you can't risk executing an innocent person. Mm. So indeed, you, shouldn't, uh, you, you shouldn't execute innocent people. You should take endless steps to prevent yourself from doing that. But you can't make that a, a bar to a policy which is otherwise effective and useful uh, because if you did then for instance you could not release uh, any convicted killers at all ever and sometimes there presumably are cases for doing that i'm not uh, people think i'm a hanger and flogger but i'm not actually in favor of very long prison sentences i've visited prisons I, they're terrible places and particularly now that they're run by the inmates they're far far worse than they used mm. to be and most of us if we were put in one of them couldn't survive we'd go crazy after 10 years and i don't believe in long prison sentences for their own sake uh, which is one of the reasons why I think the death penalty for heinous murder is, is on occasion justified. Mm. This seems to me to be one of those occasions, in which case parole wouldn't really arise, would it? Well, it wouldn't. Um, I mean, I'm like you. I'm a bit squeamish about the death penalty, um, partly because I don't have great confidence in the system uh, that which that w would operate efficiently and correctly in every single case. And I, But I do think that there are certainly cases where people who have committed certain types of crimes should never be released on the basis that they will never be safe to be released. And if you are asking about whether it makes the world a safer place to lock up murderers and rapists, well, I think it does, because they're clearly not out there murdering and raping. And so I think that's a, well, a straightforward case. But there's also a very powerful deterrent effect, not against murder as such, but against the use of violence by criminals. A fascinating fact is that the numbers, again, I don't have them to hand because I wasn't expecting to discuss this, but mm. the numbers of attempted murders and, and serious woundings uh, with intent uh, are arising greatly. Now, if, if these c crimes, uh, which often involve terrible injuries to the victim, had happened in the early 1960s or 1950s, almost all the victims would have died, mm. uh, which would mean that if we had the homicide, uh, uh, if, if we had the, the if, if, if we had the uh, the medical facilities of 1950, 1960, huge numbers of people would now be dying after being attacked, and our, our homicide and murder figures would be immensely higher uh, than they are. And this is concealed by the brilliance of the trauma surgeons and the health service and paramedics in saving the lives of their victims in thousands of cases a year. Uh, so we are actually concealing from ourselves a very great rise in the amount of savage violence in our streets, which has followed 
I can't I can't prove that it's the it's the cause, but it's certainly followed the end of the death penalty. And also, of course, the carrying of lethal weapons by criminals has immensely increased since the death penalty was ended. So it, it's always been the powerful deterrent effect of it that seemed to me to be to be worth uh, at least studying. But one has to divorce the argument about the death penalty from the emotionalism, which also mm. was surrounds it from both sides to have a rational debate on it. I, in this case, I look at the pitchfork case, I think, what, what, what on earth is the point uh, of not executing this person, given what we know him mm. to have done? Yes. No, I think that's a very good argument, and I think many people would agree with it. Let's talk a bit about your piece at the weekend on the border force, because um, it is single-handedly now becoming the, the biggest issue, I think, facing this government and this country. David Davis wrote uh, um, a thread at the weekend about why he thought sending migrants to a, to a sort of offshore registration centre would be the wrong idea, because he made out that actually in Australia, when they did it, it ended up costing more money per migrant than it would have done to actually house them in this country. And I said to him, the, so, the, the, the problem for the Tory party is that they must get to grips with this before it either destroys either the government and or the country. Well, I don't know whether they can. I, mean, I first wrote about this on a large scale. I looked it up the other day in January of 2019. And I was at that time pretty confident that we could have adopted this simple method of, of towing them back to France and saying to the French, uh, we don't want them. And after a few weeks or indeed a few months of doing that, I think the message would have sunk home. But I don't, it, that might have been possible at the time when it was still really tiny. Mm. And what I was pointing out was that the, this, a huge psychological barrier had been broken. No one had realized until, until 2019 or 2018 that you could actually get across the channel so easily. The people smugglers hadn't realized it. Uh, because they thought of the channel as a difficult obstacle to cross. And once people stop being afraid of it, there's no limit to how many people could come across. And mm. we have had days in, in recent months, when the, in recent weeks, when the official total uh, of people who've got into the country by coming across the channel has been more than a 1,000 a day. And that, of course, doesn't count however many there are uh, who are undoubtedly slipping in without being recorded by anybody. Mm. As, and the border force knows this and knows that they're, they're doing so because they've probably got a good reason not to be in any way registered. But we don't know how many, but if, if this is sustained at this rate for a year, then you have the population of a, of a town the size of Brighton yeah. uh, coming into the country every year. Uh, wh whoever they are, and whatever their motives are, and, and, and whatever their reasons are for coming here, that is a, a major social and economic problem for the country. Yeah, and one which you can't ignore. Like, we, if there ever was an opportunity to take them back, it's plainly gone. The French won't accept it, and it would involve a, a terrible and probably disastrous standoff in the Channel. The Australian solution of, of putting them in, in a third country doesn't seem to be available to us. And we're constantly rumoured that Albania is going to, is going yeah. to take them. I Albania. don't know why they keep coming Albania up with Albania denies it. I don't. We ha we simply haven't got this uh, the the amount of sea between us and our nearest neighbour that mm. Australia has. Nor have we got countries which are willing to, to do this for us. I don't know. Uh, I'm beginning to wonder whether this is in fact insoluble. Uh, and of course, there is the other aspect of it which I never cease to harp on about because it is so important. None of this would have happened had it not been for the stupid policies of the of Anthony Blair and of David Cameron. Mm. Uh, in, in Blair in, in destroying the stability of the Middle East with his Iraq war and Cameron in destroying the Gaddafi regime in Libya, uh, which was, as a lot of people knew at the time, and as Gaddafi made plain, one of the main barricades to, to mass migration 
from the North African coastline to Europe. Both of those things were catastrophic. Yeah. And we, we now find out all those who thought it was just a matter of theory as to whether we should do these stupid things or not, now find out that it's a matter of practice. I, so I don't, increasingly, I don't see how, given modern diplomacy and everything else, that we can actually do much about it. But it certainly is not helped by the fact that there is probably nobody uh, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the higher reaches of the civil service or politics who really believes uh, that borders are worth defending. Mm. Well, I think that's part of the problem from the European Union, isn't it? But I know that way back when, when Schengen was being sort of put together, uh, there were three countries that opted out of um, the freedom of movement um, scenario, which meant that actually anybody could come in any way, shape or form. It was Ireland, the UK and Sweden. And those three countries uh, uh, decided that they would want more immigration than every other European country. And that's part of the problem as well, because it's never really been uh, changed, that, that basic policy. And so because you can now, I mean, I spoke to a guy in the summer when we were talking about coronavirus restrictions and he decided upon himself to drive to Greece and he got in his car put his car on the train, went to Calais. Nobody stopped him at Calais. He drove literally to uh, Brindisi, I think it was, in um, uh, in Italy. And the first time he was asked for his passport was when he got off the ferry in Greece. Not, at no point was he stopped anywhere. And I think no, that's well, that, a problem. Until recently. I mean, there were, when the migration across the Mediterranean became very widespread, uh, France and Italy, for instance, began to enforce their borders, and so did some of the other shame. Mm. But it's, you know, I've travelled from vast distances across Europe without being asked for a passport. Uh, and you can walk uh, from one country to another. And I've walked from Germany to France mm. and, uh, and, and from Germany to the Netherlands without, uh, as if it were from, 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 from one town to another without any check. That's the state of affairs over there. And, uh, and therefore, once you're into the, into the European Union, you can, without very much difficulty, find your way to the channel. And, and there it is. Not all of them come here. A lot of them want to come to Germany as well. But there are particular reasons why so many people want to come here. And they and, and, and I, I'll say it again. I don't blame them for wanting to come uh, any more than I blame people for, for for wanting to afford bigger houses than they have or to have better jobs than they have. People should have aspirations. But uh, there are barriers to these things from happening. And, and what's, what the people's fighters are doing is they're trying to mm. bypass those barriers right. and jump the queues and prevent people from doing the thing lawfully and properly. If you if you are going to have, I, I'm, myself, I'm not sure at the moment how much immigration we need. I think less than we get by some way. But you should, I think, be able to choose who you let in and who you don't. Yeah. And you can't do that under this procedure. Yes, and you should also be able to throw people out. Uh, if they do not qualify, as per the man, the man in uh, in Liverpool, you know, who was denied applications after after applications from as long ago as 2014, and yet he was still living here. Well, as my old Richard, my old friend Richard Littlejohn keeps pointing out, if you remember that the the hijack of the of the the, the Afghan plane, which uh, which arrived, I think, a, a yes. years ago, and and he said at the time, and I remember thinking the same thing. I'll bet you that everybody involved in this is still here 20 years hence. Right. And this is, you, you, is incredibly difficult to remove people from this country, uh, not least because the countries from which they came are not, in many cases, particularly anxious to have them back. Mm. So they're not, they're not going to, to, to make the others. It's also very expensive. I, I think we've, we've, we've with, with the mixture of open borders idealism and stupid wars, we may have done for Europe as it was. I think it, it actually may be over. Uh, it's just a matter of time mm. as to when, as to when that, that actually happens. Yeah. It is extraordinary how once you have 
totally free movement of people, uh, it changes the world. Yeah, it totally does. So it changed the United States, too. I well, think a hugely, the United States is now increasingly a bilingual country, yeah. English and Spanish, which it used not to be. Well, I remember when I lived in the US, as, as you probably might remember, uh, there was a Time magazine cover that said that by 2040, Spanish would actually be uh, the main language of the US of A. But stay with us, Peter, for a moment. We're just going to take a little short break. We'll come back. We want to talk about uh, the European model once more. Uh, and also, the whole immigration conversation ne needs to be had. Nobody else has it. We're going to have it right here on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Gray on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We're talking to Peter Hitchens from the Mail on Sunday. Peter, I think the other problem that, that, that exists out there is, as you've pointed out, because of this kind of Blair-inspired wokery, for want of a better word, we have all these institutions now who do not um, do what it says on the tin. Like you said, uh, you know, the Church of England with people in there who don't really believe in God, border force that don't really believe in borders, police that don't really want to arrest people for any crime, you know, doctors who don't want to see anybody in case they're not very well. You know, where has all this kind of madness come from? Well, it's come from many different places, uh, but the a lot of it has come from the from the huge political and, and social revolution of the 1960s, which has now pretty much uh, come to completion in that the people who, who went to university with me in the late 1960s and early 1970s uh, have risen to the top in almost all the major professions and activities in, in our society, uh, in politics and in the law as well, particularly. And not only have they risen to the top, but those who've come behind them have followed uh, the same politics. And what people that people think that a revolution is going to involve barricades in the streets and people running about with bayonets it doesn't anymore it just involves a quiet takeover of our, of our lives and the way things are done and what you can people say well maybe there'll be a censor in every newspaper office it doesn't need to be a censor in a newspaper office or a tv studio these days or indeed in a workplace yeah. does that because people are scared stiff yeah of saying anything which might not fit in with the new ideology. So it's happened. You're living in a country which has undergone as, as, at least as big a revolution as, as Russia underwent in 1917, which doesn't even realize it. Uh, it it's, it's the old Chinese execution story, isn't it? You know, the story of the, the, the Chinese executioner who was famed for his amazing skill of mm. execution, came to this town, uh, executed, where the, this criminal was brought before him to be executed, and the executioner... Uh, made a few flourishing passes with his sword and the the, the condemned man said after a while well, i'm sick of all this is very boring especially such a brilliant executioner would you please get on with it and the executioner <laughs> said kindly nod please and the man's head fell off right. uh, because the executioner had already been accomplished mm. our revolution has happened without yeah. us being aware of it all the buildings are still standing uh, a lot of the symbols are still up we've still got a queen uh, uh, as i say she's been so completely taken over uh, by the modern doctrine that she might as well not be there. Uh, so it, it's it's incredibly clever to have a revolution which nobody notices. Mm. So then you can get on with doing what you want. And in between, you can have elections in which you can pretend to be concerned. Education, education, education. After which, education gets worse. Uh, tough on the causes of crime, tough on crime. After which, there's more crime mm. and more cause for it, I might say. Uh, and then constant claims by homosexuals of both parties that they've got immigration under control, yeah. which they have not got. But underneath, and here's this, this thing which I do come back to in this discussion, uh, this extraordinary article written by Michael Andrew Neither, N-E-A-T-H-E-R, uh, in the Evening Standard a few years ago, in which he admitted that he was a former New Labour apparatchik, but he discovered a driving purpose 
in the immigration policy of the Blair government to change the country mm. uh, and to marginalize conservatism. And, and that's what they did. Yeah. And I, when I was a revolutionary, we were in favor of immigration, not because we particularly liked immigrants, we never anything against them, but because we didn't like the way Britain was at the time. And mm. we saw large-scale immigration as a way of changing, changing yeah. our society. And I mean, and I, don't think, I don't think anybody could say now with any, uh, with any doubt that it has changed society massively, uh, totally. particularly in the last 10 to 15 years. But interestingly, just before we let you go, um, a piece sort of popped up on Twitter at the weekend, I'm not quite sure how, um, of something that you and I had talked about last December, uh, where you were sort of basically saying, if people don't stand up to this madness, you know, it's just going to get worse. And it was quite prescient. Um, it got another sort of 40,000 views over the weekend. Um, interesting times that we live in, because... Well, I, I had to point out, I had to point out sort of how old it was. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and may I point out, they didn't stand up. <laughs> no. That's, so we are. I mean, my, my view, I, I, like, I feel like the, the leader of a, defeat, of a defeated party at a general election. <laughs> we, we tried as far as we could. We did everything we could. We, we offered all the warnings that, that were available and nobody paid any attention. Well, now you've got, uh, now you've got what, you, what you asked for. And I'm sorry to say but I told you so, and as I've many times said to you, I'm saying I told you so is my principal pleasure in life. So I shall go out now mm. into the street with a smile on my face. <laughs> but I mean, so. I guess I guess the one thing that you could say uh, if you were looking for some glint of light at the end of the tunnel is that at least we're not living in Austria. Well, no, we're not. But then not we yet. Never were, we never were, were we? Look at the, the the history and traditions of Austria are not like ours. It's, it's a country where where, where, where governments. Naturally, it's, 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 it's history, the Austro-Hungarian Empire, the dreadful uh, bureaucracy and stability of the Habsburgs, and then and then the terrible period between the wars. It's not a country with a, a happy history of liberty under the law, is it? No. Unlike, unlike us. Right, it really, it, really, it really isn't. And I guess that's what tells us that we must not be like the, some of the countries in Europe, uh, the way they were, the way they are now. Peter, good to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Thanks. Peter Hitchens uh, there from the Mail on Sunday, making a great deal of sense. He always did. We didn't always agree on everything, but he did, if you haven't seen it, issue a warning back in December of last year, almost exactly a year ago, uh, in which he basically said, look, all of these um, restrictions that are being brought in, if you don't fight back against them, you don't know where it's all going to end up, but it's probably not going to end up in a very good place. And look what happened. Although, I have to say, I don't know about you, I feel as though we're slightly better off now than we were this time last year. This time last year, we were locked down. There was, everything was closed. You couldn't go anywhere. Um, and November was a very bad month for an awful lot of people. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Right now, though, uh, we're going to head across to Amelia Jones, Fox 6 reporter in Wisconsin, where terrible events last night uh, revolt, re resulted in a car ploughing through a Christmas parade, uh, causing the deaths of several people. Uh, absolutely horrendous uh, scenes over there. Let's find out what the latest situation is. Amelia, very good uh, morning to you. Welcome. Good morning. It's a pleasure to join you all. Um, unfortunately, though, really sad news to share with you guys. You can see behind me, there are still police lights here and police do have a person of interest in custody after that viral video that obviously has made it international mm. now of a red SUV going past the barricades of a Christmas parade. This was a very festive 
family-oriented parade here, and then it plowed past those barricades and just full speed went into the parade. We know that five people are dead, more than 40 are injured. We have confirmed that there are 15 children in the hospital right now. No fatalities that have been reported from a children's hospital here in Wisconsin, but we do know that Five are dead, more than 40 injured, three in serious condition, four in critical condition at another hospital, Aurora Healthcare. I want to show you guys, I did, you can see the police behind me, but what we're also seeing here is in those chaotic moments, we heard screaming, we heard and saw people grab their children and just run and bolt from the scene. And so this morning, there is actually, I'm going to bend down, for you all there's a stroller here if you all can see mm. that and it even has a festive headband here just a another reminder for you all that this was a very joyous event people were celebrating the start of the holidays as we have thanksgiving on thursday and then we have the christmas season coming up afterwards now this area it's going to stay blocked off as police continue to investigate again they have a person of interest in custody but we don't know if that's the driver of the suv we don't know the connection and also we don't know a motive i mean this person in that SUV drove through a Christmas parade, hitting multiple people, injuring over 40 people, including 15 children. So we do expect to have an update from police around 1 p.m. here in the United States, here in Wisconsin. And so we're hoping to learn more about the person's identity. We do know that the SUV was located as well last night. But again, just horrific news mm. making waves across the world this morning. Absolutely, Amelia. Yeah, thank you very much for those details. I mean, we're hearing as well that it might have been another incident that prior to the to the car moving that quickly through the crowd that may have involved some kind of stabbing. What what sort of credence is that getting at the moment? Well, and that's what we're working on learning. We have heard several reports that, yes, potentially the person was driving away from a different crime scene. And so we're waiting for police to confirm that information and hoping giving a little more idea as to how this horrific event happened. Yes, because obviously the worry would be that it was somehow motivated by by a political motive or by some kind of terror motive, because we've seen that in Europe before. Uh, in Germany, we've seen Christmas markets being driven into by Islamic terrorists and that kind of thing. But it doesn't sound like that's what is being investigated there right now. No, it's not. And that was potentially an original thought from people. But no, that's not what we're hearing right now. What we're hearing is that potentially it was related to a previous crime. And then that person drove through the parade as a result of that. OK, Amelia, thank you very much indeed for checking in with us. Amelia Jones, there, a Fox 6 reporter in Wisconsin uh, at the scene of that horrific situation there. Imagine uh, just going out with your family, with your children uh, to watch a Christmas parade, uh, a Thanksgiving parade as well, which is coming up later on this week in the US of A uh, and finding out uh, that you never uh, ever making it home. It's absolutely horrendous. There's a lot of people injured, uh, five dead already, at least 12 children, uh, they believe, injured quite badly amongst the 40 people counted as injured. Uh, we'll bring you latest uh, news on that, of course, as it happens right here on the Independent Republican Mike Graham and throughout the day uh, on Talk Radio. Talk Radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republican Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. 
If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.